Welcome to episode 44 of the Digital Fabrication Experiment, a podcast about all things CNC. I'm Winston Moy, and I'm joined by my expectant co-hosts, Eddie Kramer and Chris Lee. We're hobby machinists, and we'd like to bring you into our conversations about life in the shop and topics in making. Eddie, Chris, how are y'all doing tonight? I'm doing pretty good. How about you, Chris? I'm pretty excited here. Yeah, I'm Winston. Uh, doing all right. Um, things are going well. I haven't uh, destroyed my 3D printer yet. So life is good. Sweet. So Chris, what's all the excitement about? Um, just the fact that the UMC's coming. Um, all that, all the paperwork and everything's been squared away. So that's it's being made as we speak. Um, did we talk last time? I, I basically we got a really good deal, so we we loaded it up with fully feature. We got the 15k spindle. Um, we didn't do the 50 tool changer because uh, it didn't feel like that 17 grand was worth the extra 20 slots. I think if we standardize tooling, we don't even, we won't even need that much. So, um, yeah, I think the last time we talked, you were still debating between the 10 K and 15 K spindle. So I'm glad you, glad yeah. you went with the fast. I mean, yeah, 15 K, you know, aluminum, I guess. And it was funny cause right after, I guess Marv listened to the podcast, he was like, do the 15. And I was like, okay, <laughs> that, that was confirmation enough for me. That's as fast as you can go on that machine, right? Yeah. Yeah. The, the cool thing is though that the, there are like these cat 40, uh, spindle shells that you can plug in and basically, um, there's a, you can attach a 50 K spindle to it that goes into the cat 42 holder. And then you can use that as like a second, it's like a spindle within a spindle, right? Yeah. A speeder. Basically. Right. And they're not that expensive. Yeah. I was shocked. So I think if we really need the RPM, I, we might just go down that route. If we're going to go that small, I'll just get one of those and plug those into the tool holder and it should be fine. Are those electric or compressed air? I think it's compressed air. I have to check though. I'm not sure. Yeah. I know they have both types of like secondary spindles, electric and NSK makes one. Um, but I don't know if the ones I'm thinking of would fit in the, fit in the spindle or if there's like a, a bracket to the side to mount it to the spindle housing. But you said yours goes in the ATC? It goes in the ATC, yeah. The I one mean, the one you're looking, looking at? Yeah, the one I was looking at. Yeah, that's, and that's, that's the one that Matt recommended to me from Pocket NC. I guess they have one that they're using. And oh, okay. th- he told me it just, it just goes into the tool holder and it runs. And so, so that, that's pretty cool. Um, but other than that, you know, besides being excited about the machine coming, now it's just like, okay, work holding, tooling, uh, cooling, and all the other fun stuff, um, trying, to, trying to figure out, you know, what we're going to buy and things like that and how much things are going to cost. Yeah, I just, um, everyone knows this by now since I mentioned it last time, but my Neo is on its way. Nice. So it's on the truck heading this way. So that was kind of my reminder to get my, my initial tool ordering in. I already have, you know, I have quite a few Daytron tools already on hand here, but, um, I'm a little, little light on the bigger stuff that would work well on the Neo, but not so well on the hobby machines. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I was thinking that'd be pretty quick just to, pulls together an order, but actually it's kind of complicated, right? Because you got to put a lot of thought into like, what what are you going to do with the machine? Where's the, what tools kind of are optimized for that particular machine? And um, I'm just talking about like the base set, like the stuff I want to keep in the machine all the time. Yeah. 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 So you're probably going through the same thing, right? Exactly. And the, the thing, like, I guess it's harder for you because you you do more prototyping, right? So you can't really... You could probably standardize the set, but you're always going to need a few spaces for just just in case for whatever that part happens to have. At least for ours, um, most of the motorcycle parts I looked at, I can probably get away with like six tools. Um, and I can probably machine most of them with that. And I can leave. My, my goal is to have 20 set tools of finishers and roughers and empty chucks for drills um, or random things. And then leave 10 for like the, the special stuff per job. So if there's yeah. if this part needs to be set with something, I'll have ten extra on the side, and I'm gonna get these uh, these YG1 hydraulic tool holders that both uh, you know Rob from Carbide 3D recommended, also Saunders recommended to me when I was at his shop. Um, really, really affordable, really nice hydraulic tool holders. One turn of an Allen basically locks in the pull stud and everything, so or, or locks in the tool for the end mill. And I like that having a set of 10 of those for the extra 10 slots so that if we need to swap tools out, it's very quick. And then the other 20 tools can be, you know, a set screw or ER collet or whatever. So we won't have to fumble too much with that. And then when we do have to change things, we'll have this nice, really fast way of setting the tools and putting them in quickly. Yeah. Did you see a, 
Saunders post about the um, the generative design skateboard truck he's working on on the 750. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. I think he posted something on Instagram today. Actually, he finished the first one, and I think yeah, did he... you see the. Oh, I was gonna say, did you see that long extended tool holder he had to use to kind of get to some of the tight spots? No, was it how was it super long, like over six or something? Yeah, yeah. So the tool was long and the holder was long. So he had like a I can't remember what the if he had a shrink fit. I think it was a shrink fit holder, um, and then he had an extender like in there clamped in the heat shrink and then the tool a long pretty long tool at the end of the extender um so yeah it's like it's probably not quite like you won't have quite as much trouble as he will with small parts because you don't have the the big you don't have the uh large rotary table right right clear yeah so um but yeah it's like um you know we're used to like pocket and see but like these bigger five axes sometimes that's uh getting access to the parts can be a challenge. Yeah. Um, you know, our platter is much smaller, so I won't be able to go with the double lock, uh, or the double rock lock setup. I'll have a single, um, which should be more than enough. Um, but yeah, like I, I was recommended basically from everybody that, you know, at least like a four inch tool holder is probably your standard. And then you get, you still want to get the bigger and smaller ones because you want to minimize stick out whenever you can. But, Right. Typically, like you're going to need at least four inches to clear the platter, you know, from the spindle head and stuff like that. So, I see those are definitely tools you only use if you have to, right? Right, right. Yeah. I mean, if I can get away with like a two inch or a stub, we're going to do it. But if not, then we at least we have those longer ones. And I looked on Mari Tool, and they're like 130 bucks. It's totally reasonable. Like I, I was expecting, you know, 250 or more per tool holder. Um, but it's really, really not that bad, really affordable. And it seems like everyone's using them, right? Like Pearson Saunders and, and it seems great. Yeah. I've heard nothing but good things about them. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm all aboard on that one. Well, um, you can still, there's still time to change your order to an HSK spindle if you want to spend <laughs> money on tool holders. <laughs> oh man. I actually thought about that. I was like, no way. It's going to cost like 80 grand a tool of that thing. I was like, forget <laughs> it. We're, we're, we, don't, we don't need that kind of precision for the work we're doing and, and stuff. It'd just be a waste. Like. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think on maybe my, my next machine, definitely I'll, I'll spruce for the higher stuff. But for right now, this is good enough. Like, I feel pretty good about my tool selection for the, like, I kind of stuck with the six millimeter and eight millimeter cutting diameter tools. Like those are kind of the bread and butter on the, on the Neo mm-hmm. single flute four and one. I'm, I'm talking about strictly Daytron tooling here. Yeah. Uh, that's what I was ordering. It's a, it's really the small stuff that's like, you never know what you're going to need. Right. And, uh, I mean, good news is I have quite a bit on hand for the, the V250. So a lot of that stuff, you know, if I need it, I'll be able to run out on the Neo too. Right. But, uh, yeah, but like once you get below six millimeter, there's a lot of choices. <laughs> I'll yeah. down to like, I, yeah, I think, I think they have Daytron has tooling like down to, I want to say 0. 0.2 or 0. 0.4 millimeter, something like that. Or maybe, no, sorry, 0. 0.5, I think. Did you uh, get any of those four in one wiper blades? That's pretty much all I ordered. You know, oh man, I, I can't, yeah. I can't wait to see how that works. I, I've heard nothing but really good thing, and I want to see it in action. But those wiper blades that they add is supposed to is what gives you that really, really amazing finish. Oh yeah, yeah. I've so, run them on the, um, I, I've run them on the Neo. I'm sorry, on the Nomad and on the V210. The like, I have a couple of five millimeters and four millimeter ones here. They, they're great. Yeah, it's like beautiful finish. But uh, but I'm turning them. You know, I'm running them way. It way too low in RPM compared to what they want to run at. So right. on the Neo, they'll, they'll really get to actually do what they're supposed to do, which is remove material fast and leave a good finish instead right. of just the latter. <laughs> yeah. I For me, it's like um, the way I, th- I like, we, I'm going for a three-inch face mill. Um, I, then I usually step down to like a one-inch uh, for like roughing, and then I, and then I go half-inch, quarter, and eighth. And then from there, I'll have like roughers and finishers and then, um, you know, couple empty chucks for whatever but the i really want to get that mitsubishi asx 445 face mill the one that yeah. dr lisey uses to make mirrors all day i've been yep. i've been talking to him and he's been taking pictures and sending me a lot of the stuff that they use um because i really want to like see if i can if i can do that as well that's kind of like if i can make a mirror on the umc that'd be pretty pretty cool how much does yeah. that cost i think that tool holder itself is like 1400 with inserts no <laughs> just just with the tool holder i gotta check prices though this is research that i did a while ago um, yeah 
and this is just me Googling the internet. I'm, I'm hoping if we get like a tool rep and stuff, he might be able to get a deal if we buy a bunch of stuff at once. Yeah. Well, you get a tool credit, right? With the machine. Uh, we got a small just... tool credit, but it wasn't oh, okay. much. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. I was, um, I was kind of just drooling for a second when you said three inch face mill. Yeah. <laughs> I'm all excited about my 14 millimeter face mill. I'll be running on the Neo. It's like, that's the big tool for the Neo. <laughs> yeah, I, like I just barely over half an inch. <laughs> I I want a three inch face mill at least. You know, I, at, at yeah. the bare minimum, that, that's something that you can't get on using a hobby machine. So that's always oh, yeah, something yeah. that I've been looking for. Yeah, you've got the torque to run it. So yeah, cool. um, but yeah, and then you know, the, there's this whole coolant debacle. Like everyone's got their opinion. Everyone's got like their you know, yes, this works, yes, this doesn't work. And it's so hard to filter out like what's real. I trust all these sources, like the people that I'm talking to, you know, I'm, they have real world experience. It's just that the, the information is so polarizing. I'm not sure how to like uh, figure it out. And on top of that, when you go to like Qualicem's website, like, what the hell is the difference between 248, 250 and 251C? And I'm looking at the descriptions and they all sound the same. It's like, okay, uh, you know, no foam, um, doesn't smell and great tool life is it's like very general and it's it's so not informative you know for somebody do, that's coming in here and trying to figure out do they have uh do they list like material compatibilities as part of the, each of those uh, formulas like i don't remember with copper or anything like that oh yeah i think it's split between like you know ferris not ferris and stuff like that like so i'm looking in the aluminum section but even then yeah, there's okay. like there's like 10 different coolants to get for the aluminum um i i kind of have it narrowed down to two i have one that's like the qualicam brand that everyone seems to gravitate toward and they've even warned me don't let the rep upsell you on like this number just stick to this number because the finishes are exactly the same and yeah. then then I have another uh, source, and basically, <laughs> it's funny. He's always like, "This coolant discussion, stupid. Just get this. It's super cheap. It works. It has no like issues. I've been running for years." So it's like I'm I'm kind of in the middle. I got to talk to you know uh, my buddy too and see what he w- wants to do for the coolant stuff. But yeah, I mean, this yeah. is the last hurdle for me. Once I get the coolant figured out, I already know what work holding we're gonna do in the tooling. Um, and then just ordering everything and making sure everything comes in before the uh, the UMC arrives. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing you're going to end up with 251C. <laughs> just a guess. They were telling me, no, they were telling me to go for the uh, 246C. Oh, okay. Because uh, this is from Pearson. Jay, Jay was kind of to talk to me for a little bit, and he's like, they're going to tell you 251 is what you need, but to be honest, 246 is totally adequate. And he's like, it's what we use and it's great. And I'm like, okay, that, that's good enough for me. You know, like I, I don't need yeah. to hear any more stuff or whatever. Yeah. I was going to kind of laugh at you and your coolant dilemma there, seeing as I just need ethanol for the deal, <laughs> but, uh, getting my hands on ethanol has uh, been a bit of a challenge. So, um, but yeah, I think I actually found a source, a local source nearby in Austin. Nice. Well, yeah. So I'll know tomorrow if they'll. So it's just, it's basically the same product I was trying to get a hold of from the like manufacturer, um, and they. I think I mentioned on the last podcast they sell what I have or what I want, but they won't ship to residential address. So kind of fair enough. It's kind of a hazardous chemical as far as uh, transporting it. Right. But um, either that or they think we're like all the home addresses are people running meth labs, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> we don't ship chemicals to, yeah, to non-commercial addresses. Yeah. But, um, yeah, but they, they have a local distributor in, in Austin, which is like 90 miles from me. So nice. I, can, I can definitely run up there a couple times a year and pick up what I need. Uh, yeah. yeah. They have will call and I think they'll, they'll tell me on Monday if they think they can ship to me too. So if they can't, I can definitely pick it up there. Mm-hmm. I already checked on that. So yeah, hopefully yeah, my, we, we were having trouble getting alcohol for a CMM as well. Like a yeah, like a special alcohol to clean like the probe tips and stuff like that. It right, was kind right. of difficult. Assuming you were looking for denatured, um, like the stuff you don't need a permit or like liquor license for. Right, right. But, yeah. it, it, it was even, like a special kind of alcohol that we. I'm, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not sp- certain on the percentage of what they were using, but all I know is my core was really complaining because he's like, "Why the why the hell can't we get <laughs> alcohol for yeah, the stupid yeah, machine?" Exactly. Like all of a sudden in California, it's it's like super hard. Oh. 
Oh, that's a different issue. Yeah. So California has the VOC restrictions, right? So they're, Some, they're yeah. banning a so lot of the that's uh, what, volatile uh, organic compounds, yep. including ethanol. Yeah. Yep. I don't know what the Datron users and are going to do because that's a, uh, doesn't matter whether it's denatured or not. The fact it's the it's the ethanol itself that's yeah. this banned, right? Yep, and I mean they're going to have to do what they do with fireworks: bring it to Nevada and then drive it across the border, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> figure it out. <laughs> yeah, I may have a good side business here, like uh, selling <laughs> bootleg ethanol into California. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, that's basically what I've been prepping for, and then tomorrow's my first day at the new job, so I'm uh, excited wow. and nervous. Yeah, it's a lot going on for you right there. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, what about you, Winston? How's that 3D printer going for you? It's, I mean, it, it is what it is. I kind of wish I'd gotten a slightly bigger machine. So, Creality's lineup is a little bit, it, it's got some holes in it right now. And it's, it's clear that there's room for them to introduce, like, a new machine. So, the machine that I bought is the Ender 5 Pro. There's the regular Ender, which the Pro has got some upgrades over, like a, the Trinamic Drive uh, stepper motor board, so the like you can't hear it move; you can just hear the fan. Um, and then they also have the Ender Five Plus, which doesn't have the silent uh, motherboard or the main board for the stepper drivers, but it comes with a um, auto bed probing, and the uh, Z axis is a dual drive, so it's supported on both ends. Um, so my bed is like a, a springboard. So when you print like really fast, tiny movements near the end, you can potentially get a little resonance, especially as the weight of your print increases. Um, I haven't run into any issues with that, but I'm already starting to wish I'd gotten the larger machine just for that extra stability and not having to worry about leveling the bed. Um, but I really didn't need the size. Um, mm -hmm. But, like, they could have just, like, had they released the Ender 5 Pro Plus, like, put the silent drive uh, board in the Plus, like, that would have given me, like, no reason not to get, like, the best of that particular lineup. So, maybe they'll address that in the future, but I feel like that's a missed opportunity for them. They could have easily upsold me on, like, all these things, and I was like, each machine right now has its pros and its cons, and there's no way to just get it all. Um, so, is, is that five? Okay, is that is it the plus or the pro that has the auto bed leveling? And is that the only machine that has it, or does the other Ender threes have it? The auto bed leveling. Um, I'm not sure about the three. The plus okay. has it because it's physically larger. So, like, just between that and the dual drive Z axis, um, you want to be able to just make sure that whole surface is perfectly flat or accounted for. Because um, I've also heard that the Creality stock beds aren't necessarily super duper flat. So that probing at discrete points helps it overcome whatever issues there might be. So, but aside from that, like, uh, minor regret in shopping and purchasing, um, it's it's gone all right. The, I've had one instance where I had to make some adjustments before prints would stick. Um, there's a little bit of uh, like some PLA strands between uh, taller features, um, but the prints themselves have come out just fine. I haven't bothered switching to the glass bed yet. I haven't even built an enclosure for it, um, and it's it's printing really good prints, honestly. So it's it's doing what I need it to. Um, I haven't kicked it down the stairs yet, and uh, yeah, my my trust level in the technology is slowly growing, but there's still those like little failure points that it, that happen so occasionally, but are just frustrating to be like, uh, I've got like I've got like twenty minutes in this print, like the first layer is almost done, but like this print didn't stick, so I got to restart that. Little things like that just drive me a Let's little see. batty. <laughs> So if you had to go back in time, because you're the Creality Ender Five Plus is like five eighty, right, or five hundred eighty bucks. For just a little bit more, you could get a Prusa kit. So I'm trying to, I'm because I'm 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 right behind you. I'm about to get a three D filament, like an FDM printer, and I'm also waiting for a resin printer to come back in stock. And I'm gonna I'm gonna buy both at the same time, actually. But I'm debating should I just 
should I just get the Prusa because I know it's going to work and like I don't have to fidget and it's it's a good quality machine and then or should I try to do like the Creality Ender 5 Plus or whatever the one you recommended with the um, bed leveling and tinker with it a little bit. So the thing about the Prusa is that it is a smaller printer um, but it is also like it's got that reliability thing there's some nice to haves like uh, like filament detection um, you, I think it, it depends on whether you're looking for value or looking for something that's that's reasonable. Like the Prusa to me is kind of like the the Toyota of the uh, um, 3D printing industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's reliable. It's got reasonable features, but it's not what I would consider high end. Um, and the thing about the moving bed is that um, I think it moves in the Y axis is that if you try and build a box around it, you've got to account for that movement. So it's going to have to be like an extra deep um, like uh, enclosure in the y-axis. Hmm. Um, since I have a moving gantry one, I just build four walls around it, like tape them or just slot them into the, the 2020 extrusion, and uh, those walls are fine. The bed itself only moves up and down. Um, so there's that. For, for the footprint that I want for me to be able to just throw this under the table, fully enclosed all, on all four walls, uh, I like the, um, the Ender 5 architecture. Hmm, okay, that's interesting. You said the machine's really quiet? Yeah, it's got the um, silent motherboard, um, so it's trinamic yeah. drivers, and like the fan is the loudest part of the machine, which is all right, because... Um, if I'm in the shop, I'm, I'm probably CNCing stuff anyway, so like I've got ear protection on anyway, so it really doesn't bother me for some people who want to keep it indoors. Maybe they want to like mess with the fan or something, or I don't know. But um, you don't hear like the the little the, the chirps of the steppers just going back and forth all the time. So it's a uh, Alice Cook Duck certified. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. Excellent. Okay. Well, I'm not sure if I need the work volume to be that big. I mean, I, I think most of my stuff is going to be kind of small, but... Um... That's what I thought, too, except on the print that I'm doing now for my uh, DIY like video lights, um, I just designed something, and it was about like 200 millimeters wide, wasn't even thinking about it, and I loaded it up into Cura, and I was like, oh, that is like almost the full width of my build area. Good thing it wasn't just slightly larger, so I wouldn't have to print diagonally. Um, so it actually worked out um, that I got the five and not like the three. Um, Are you so, uh, printing in PLA? Yeah. Okay. Uh, trying to keep it simple you, and cheap. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way to start. I mean, actually, it's good for most things unless you're like building a part that's actually going to work mechanically. My only concern is that I am uh, riveting these to a heat sink for the LEDs. And uh, even though it's like, LEDs are relatively efficient. I'm still dissipating probably like 30 watts across. It's a fairly large surface area, like uh, three inches by like 24. Um, but like after a couple of minutes, like I was feeling it, like temperature is probably 115, 120. And you can push PLA to like 160 uh, before you start getting dangerously close to that glass transition temperature. But it, it's making me wonder like should i throw an extra heat sink on the back of my lights maybe a small fan or some sort of active cooling um if there's an issue i can always replace it with abs but yeah for now pla is good enough how about you chris do you need to print in any of the more kind of exotic materials like petg or no i nylon? think i i think for me right now the 3d printer is just kind of two things one to kind of play around with the different technology and also just kind of uh, test my ideas a little bit and not have to throw something on a machine and waste a few hours machining it. Um, and just kind of, cause I want to get a resin as well. I want to do both at the same time. The, the resin that I'm looking at is the Elogu Mars Pro, which is, uh, the Elogu Mars, the regular one was actually a really, really good resin printer, high quality, uh, like 250 bucks. And then all the things that people complained about, they fixed in the Pro. And it's only like three something, I think. But the problem is it's, uh, not in stock right now. So it's probably going to be out in like a month or two. So I'm waiting for that to come back and that's going to be super cheap. And, you know, I don't really need like nylon or, or rubber. I just want 
something I can print so I can test like, uh, you know, mechanical stuff. Is this going to, is this switch going to work if I slide it through here? Um, I'm going to mainly going to be using it to prototype or to test out ideas and theories for things I want to make. And then I, I, yeah, I don't need it to have like that crazy form labs material stuff. Yeah. You just need geometry output. Yeah. Like, is this going to slide in here and is that latch going to click and snap on when I push it in? Okay. It does. Okay, cool. And I know to kind of, you know, keep going with that. Well, not to risk pushing like the the additive conversation too far here. Um, <laughs> you guys on the Chris, you probably know more, uh, you definitely know a lot more about SLA than I do. Does SLA have this like when I print with FDM? A lot of times I get warping during the print. Is that even an issue? I mean, can that even happen in SLA? It happens in a different way. Like I forget okay. the name that they call it, but it's like a vertical, like uh, like, like a shear. These, uh, kind of it's. It's like you're printing in these layers, and sometimes the layers uh, become very apparent. Like it's not oh, okay. very smooth. Like if you were to print um, like a sphere, you could see the lines on the sphere, and there there are things you can do to correct for that. The issues I had with the old Form Labs one printer was sometimes it just like midway through the printing, it just like didn't finish the feature. Like if I printed a square, the bottom part was fine, and the supports were fine, and as it got closer to the top it didn't finish. It was like an open hole there. So yeah. Yeah. That makes sense because like with FDM, it's kind of laying on top, right? Right. But with the SLA is going from the bottom. Right. If you miss a layer or something happens, you're right. just like printing so, in air. From what I know, it's like if you have bits and pieces of resin that have hardened that are laying on top of the screen that affects the print, um, you have to make sure that yeah. the resin vat is very clean. Um, otherwise if there's any debris, anything that messes with that and can mess up your layer, um, I think everything, even in, in FDM or SLA, they both have their things you have to fidget with. And but once once you fidget enough, I think once you get it down and you you have the material that you're using, um, and you have your settings, then it's smooth sailing from there. That that's that's the kind of impression that I get reading online the forums and Reddit and watching YouTube videos. Is like, yeah, these these things can be very finicky, but once you dial it in, then then you're good to go. You have like a recipe. Yeah, it's too bad they're not like CNC machines where you just print the green button and your parts come out. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so, I mean, That's how do, it you, works, right? do you think, Winston, that you would recommend the Creality then? Like the, the setup and everything was not very difficult, putting it together, making sure, you know, all that stuff? The setup has gotten better from like a year ago because I've been watching some unboxing videos and people are like, oh, like they installed this thing backwards. Um, fundamentally like structurally it's sound some of the the extrusions not bolted together perfectly square or it's it's not perfectly aligned you just loosen the bolt press it down on your your table and make sure it's flat before you assemble the frames um, but the experience has actually been surprisingly uneventful um, leveling it is what i expect i've done it on our ultimakers it's just a little tedious you gotta move a little shim around and make sure you've got the right clearance um, it's, it, when it works, uh, which has been like 95% of the time for me, it's great. And, uh, yeah, I, if you're willing to just go through the effort of like making sure it's level of bolting some stuff together and you can conceptually understand how it works and some of the basic troubleshooting steps, there's no reason not to get a machine like this. Maybe get one that's maybe scaled for your size or has the auto bed leveling, depending on what you're looking for. But as far as I'm concerned, Creality is a, a pretty okay manufacturer. Hmm, okay. And then the closure is just to maintain temperature during the print, right? Uh, for me, it's two things. One is hygiene, because you really don't want like dust getting on the print bed because then you can get delamination. Um, the other is temperature, uh, because my machine's gonna be in the garage. When you open the garage door, you might get a breeze. Um, or when the door is closed, um, the inside of the garage is typically 10, 15 degrees warmer than ambient, um, just cause it's, it's sort of South facing. Um, so you do get like maybe 15, 20 degree temperature swings throughout the day. Um, and that's just to keep the breeze away, keep dust away and, and just keep it more or less, uh, isolated. I'm not putting a, a lid on it. I'm not enclosing it from above. Um, that's because I'm just going to move it underneath my workbench and uh, 
Just as long as all four walls are in place, it should be good enough. Okay. Also, it's PLA. It's not like some super high temp filament where like, if the enclosure temperature is too low, it just starts peeling itself off the bed. Right, right. Okay. Hey, Winston, so did you do any offsetting uh, team subtractive work to kind of do pittance for your additive foray? <laughs> <laughs> I have been running my pocket NC simultaneously with the 3D printer just to uh, um, achieve a karmic balance in my garage. <laughs> uh, I've just been taking an STL of a uh, SpaceX Crew Dragon capsule and just making a couple little pieces for fun. Um, it's building off some of my experimentation over the holidays, where um, after I made the graphite Stormtrooper helmet on the Nomad, I was like, oh, well, let me try doing this on the Pocket NC. And I screwed it up just before Christmas. I loaded the wrong finishing tool, so I got a couple of gouges in the finished part, and I was like, all right, we'll, we'll push this aside. I'll revisit it at some point in the future, and that future point was now. And so I found a model that was a good fit for like using a rotary axis finishing toolpath um, because I found that when you're finishing a part, um, if you're doing like a parallel toolpath and applying it from all four cardinal directions and the top, um, if there's any rotary axis misalignment at all, those toolpaths are not going to line up perfectly. There's going to be just a tiny seam. It could be like a thou or two but you're going to see it. It's going to catch the light differently. So for um, sort of organic shapes, you really want that finishing toolpath to be as continuous as possible. And since you can't really apply a flow toolpath on an STL, um, the fourth axis rotary toolpaths have been my sort of go-to finishing strategy on the Pocket NC. And uh, it, it works really well. I wish I had a little more control over it. I wish I could just program in like a little bit of tool tilt. Um, but it, it's worked really well so far. I did have a small issue, which is um, because the, I'm doing a rotary toolpath that is basically going um, up and down along the axis of the part, um, and there are fins that come out of the Crew Dragon trunk. And as you sort of do the rotary toolpath over those fins, um, you rotate a little bit, and you start plunging down the walls of the fins, and um, at the base of the fin where it meets the trunk, there's like a little bit of material, there's a small radius, and as my end mill was plunging into that part, I, uh, I think that was the trouble area, um, there was, it was just slowly causing me to lose steps, um, just, just like a couple thou at a time. But by the time the rotary toolpath came back around, it didn't finish where it started. Um, and then when I just ran that same toolpath a second time, um, after rehoming the machine, um, I got like a flawless part. So hmm. I'm just learning like little things about um, finishing strategies, especially with ball end mills. They don't like to plunge cut. Um, no. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's definitely not the best way to machine something like this, but uh, I'm working with what I got. So you were finishing with the rotary the rotary strategy. I'm assuming you were going uh, parallel with the y-axis, right? Kind of on the vertical Correct. axis. Yeah. Um, the table is traversing the y-axis, moving up and down, and rotating about the b-axis. Okay. Yeah, I have yet to try the rotary toolpath. I just, I mean, with your help, I just now realized that we have access to it without having to pay for the extensions. I thought it was part of the extensions, but um, yeah, that's yeah. it's kind of a big deal because, like, a lot of the the um, machine uh companies with fourth axis attachments um that's that's a big help for them yeah yeah i'm glad i hope it stays here i don't know if it's just during the beta or if it's considered released and it's going to be part of base um that's gonna be a big help for me on the neo with the fourth and actually on the vt52 i think so yeah i just need to petition them to um if there's like a, a g0 b axis rotation um, that's a really large number. Maybe just like uh, divide by th or do like a mod three sixty so that we don't get the B axis wind up. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. please, yeah. <laughs> please for the love of God. <laughs> yeah, I'm still not. I'm still not sure if that's a Linux CNC thing or the post processor on Fusion. I, 
It's probably it's, the post. Yeah. If it's supposed, it, could, it seems like it, you could fix it, but with some hacking. But um, yeah, I don't know. I'll talk to Pocket and see someday. See, because I thought I saw something in there where they, in one of the updates for the Linux CNC Pocket and C uh, firmware, that they'd um, basically made that a mod 360, basically unlimited. But I've run into the limits. So, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like I've done some flow tool paths that go past like I think it was 10,000 turns of the B axis and it limited out like I got an error I'm pretty sure that was on the control so yeah it's weird it's so slow though that's like <laughs> I don't think I ever do that again <laughs> <laughs> that's why um, I changed the uh, axis that you flow around I, I try not to just spin the B axis I'd rather just rotate the B axis once 360 and just oh, yeah. move the tool up and down yeah, because there, there's definitely an uh, asymmetry between axis speeds on the V250. Um, linear axis are much, uh, much higher uh, max rate. So that's the way to go. Yep. So speaking of uh, Fusion 360, I, you guys probably saw it, the, the Autodesk University 2019 videos and sessions are up at Autodesk. I'll put the link in the show notes. Um, I've been kind of watching or sitting through a few of those while I'm waiting for the machine to get here. And uh, Paul Soe has one out on T-Splines. I think it's called T-Splines Three Ways. Like, I've been trying to get my head around T-Splines for the longest time. I'm, I can do basics in there, but I wanna, I'm want i trying to get to where I'm as comfortable in T-Splines as I am in design, where you're basically, you know, I'm comfortable enough in design where I'm thinking about what I'm building and not how I'm building it. Um, but it's like completely different when I'm in, when I try to do something in T-Splines, like I have to, I'm very focused on the user interface and how the controls work and kind of gets in the way of what you're trying to design, right? The flow, mental flow. So, uh, mm-hmm. and I've, I've sat through quite a few of the T-Spline videos, both, uh, or the videos and some of the live sessions. Um, this is the first time I watched Paul's stuff and it's like his approach is, it just clicked for me. I don't know. I don't know if it, anyone else is having that trouble, but uh, I definitely recommend that one if you're trying to get better at T-splines. He kind of demystifies a lot of it um, and really kind of shows the intent of the tools, like how they're supposed to be used, what they were thinking at Autodesk when they kind of put that option, you know, whatever option. There's a lot of them for T-splines, but uh, he talks a lot about kind of paradigmatic T-spline usage. So anyway, it was a big help for me. I just have to stick with it and keep practicing. Yeah, like I didn't know that the Autodesk stuff was on there, but I knew that the Portland Academy Fusion thing last year was on there. So I've been watching all those videos of the classes that I missed and rewatching yeah. Rob Lockwood's uh, template video as well. And, and so I'll definitely add that to my queue because yeah. those yeah, videos are new, really good. There's definitely new stuff for Fusion that came out at AU that wasn't in Fusion 360 Portland event last year. It'll probably be there this year. So, uh, yeah, that was kind of, I kind of did a quick filter through a lot of it's the same stuff we saw in Portland, but there's new stuff. So Paul's was new. As far as I know, I don't remember seeing that in Portland. He was there, but I don't think he was talking about that subject. Um, yeah, so that's, uh, I always get excited when that stuff comes out. <laughs> it's like, especially like I didn't get to go to AU this year, so it's even better, you know, yeah. be able to catch yeah. up on such so many good sessions. But anyway, that, yeah, there'll be a link to, uh, the AU 2019 stuff in the show notes. Did we uh, get to mention yet that all of us are going to be at um, Fusion Academy 2020? Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Virus, any, uh... virus permitting. Yeah. Um, no, I don't think we talked about it because we, we booked it right after we wrapped up uh, last the last episode. Yeah. I've reached out to a few uh, some machinists that were there last year to see if they're, you know, let them know we're coming and see if they're going to be there. Um, so most of them are. A couple of had conflicts, but and it's like the price has gone up, but it's still remarkably reasonable oh, yeah. for a professional conference of that caliber. Yeah, so, exactly. Looking forward to it. Yeah, and there's still there's uh, I don't know if they're still good. I think they're good till the end of the month. Some discount coupon or discount code for the registration. So I think it's one ninety nine if you register before March thirty first, and if you find the discount code, I think Saunders published one. Yeah, uh, another fifty dollars off. Newsletter. Yeah. Oh, that's where it was. Uh, yeah, it's another yeah, $50 have, off. If you sign up for the chip newsletter, it comes with the code. 
Okay. Well, I won't say it on, on the air. I'll let, uh, yeah. It's like, go sign it, up. Go. <laughs> it's, it's, it's cool. It. I mean, it's, yeah. it's worth it. You know, if you're interested in, in the stuff that we talk about, it's all the things that we want to talk about and it's like the news and all the things that are coming out and stuff. So check it yeah. out. Yeah. Speaking of Saunders, Chris, have you talked about your, uh, your trip over to Ohio? Oh crap. I totally didn't, huh? <laughs> I forgot about that. Um, yeah, like after we recorded last podcast um, and the UMC was coming in and I found out that his five axis class wasn't going to be until um, October if I missed the February one, I literally just like last minute booked a flight, booked a hotel, booked a car and then flew over there like within a day and stuff. Um, and it was a really, really cool experience for many, many reasons. One was just being at the Saunders shop in Ohio. Uh, two was actually meeting Saunders and, and Kevin Ellenson, who teaches the class as well. Um, and just kind of being there and, you know, uh, I got to say hi to Ed and everyone at the shop and stuff. So being there, even though I've seen it so many times on YouTube, it was, it was like a fun little connection there. Um, but the class was great. I would highly recommend the class to anybody who takes it, who's interested in five axis machining. I mean, where else can you pay for a class where you program a part and you're on the UMC 750 within a few hours, hitting cycle start, probing a part, making chips. Like, I don't think there's any class like that anywhere. And it's crazy. You know, and people were flying from all over the country uh, to to go there and and stuff. And also from, from States and everything, but um, that was just cool, you know, and, and also being able to be like, Hey, why does it do this? And having somebody who knows what they're talking about answer you within a few seconds, like you can't beat that kind of information, especially when you're learning about, you know, programming and things. So the, the first day is three plus two, uh, machining and programming. And then the second day is like five axis simultaneous. Um, and then they do a really good job of breaking it up and then also, leaving it really open to for what the students want to learn. Um, you know, one of the students wanted to know a little bit more about rotary fourth axis stuff. And we spent a few minutes showing that. And that was kind of cool. Um, it's not like, oh, we're only going to teach five axis. He kind of opened it up and said, like, well, you guys are here. Is there anything else you'd like to learn and go over? Um, and he went over that with us. And that was really cool. Um, so I definitely got a lot of value out of it. And I would highly recommend it to anybody who's taken it. Um, both John and Kevin both taught the class. They kind of took turns and they each had like their part in doing things. And that was cool. And um, yeah, it was just fun to be there, you know, and see everything out and slap my sticker on the Neo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It looks like you got to do a little more than that. I saw some, uh, the latest uh, <laughs> logo defacement going on there. <laughs> it, w- it was actually Kevin's idea. So I can't take credit for that, but he's like, dude, we should troll Ed. I'm like, Oh yeah, it's happening. And I, I, I went back to the hotel room and I realized I didn't have your logo anywhere. So I actually just redrew your logo again. I, I <laughs> imported the image and I sketched everything out. And then started developing my my pirate version of your uh, <laughs> your logo, which is kind of fun. Um, and you guys, I'm sure everyone noticed that the first one we made, the finish wasn't that great. And it was because um, we I programmed like a general thing, but then Ed reprogrammed it to f- actually get it on the Daytron to work. Um, but I think I forgot to turn on smoothing to turn it high enough. And he said uh, the second he upped the smoothing a little bit, the the finish became. I think if you saw the second post, it was like it was near mirror. Oh, it, was, yeah. it was really good. Yeah, I meant to ask him. Did he, did he turn up? Did he was it the tolerance or the smoothing setting? I think passes. It was a little bit of both. Um, okay. And then he might have turned down the uh, the step over and stuff as well. Okay. Uh, yeah, but curious. yeah, just a couple tweaks, and then basically that was it. Um, we know we were kind of. I was kind of doing that while I was taking the class. So like while people were running the machine and it wasn't my turn, I would run over there, and Ed and I were like trying to like get this to work. So it was kind of rushed <laughs> in his defense, and then he's trying to like work and load the 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 robo drill and the other machines for parts, and then in the middle of that we meet at the Daytron and try to like figure it out so it was kind of like like kind of hectic running back and forth so that's why the first one i think didn't turn out that good but i'm glad he cool. nailed that second one pretty pretty good yeah i thought that was hilarious when i saw that go up hey um i wanted to ask you how, real quick how big was the class size for the five axis class how many students uh there was only five but the okay. six six students max okay yeah that's what i was saying it has to be pretty small since they just have the one machine when we were there right. for the um we're holding class. We were all we were using all the three-axis machines there, except for the rubber drill and right. the VM3. So they had the 
Tormox and the VF2 at our disposal. We have, right. Yeah, I think there's like 12 people in our class. But. Yeah. No, it was, I, I really, and you know, a lot of the people in the class um, were people who, I think I probably had the most five access programming because I do it on the pocket and see everyone else in the class seemed to either um, were in the class because they're trying to figure out was this right for their business. You know, guys from uh, other companies that have job shops and machine shops and they're thinking about going in the five axis and they wanted a little bit like to dip their toes in to see what it's like. And then uh, there was like a kid who's only been doing machining for a month and he wanted to learn five axis as well. So like it was, it was fun to see that and also interesting to see why everyone's, why everyone was there to take that class. Everyone had like a different reason. Um, but yeah, I think as, as long as you, I, I think the biggest thing or the biggest takeaway is not only having really good instructors to teach you what you need to know, but also just getting the opportunity to hit cycle start. Like you load the stock yourself, you know, you probe it yourself, you yep. go in there and you, you upload your file and then you learn the Haas controller. Like that in itself is invaluable. It doesn't matter what price tag the class is. Like you can't learn that anywhere else, you know? So if you want to do it, take the class for that. I highly recommend it. Um, but also, like I said, he, he allots a little bit of time to just also teach whatever it is that you want, want to learn. Like what other questions you have about programming? He went over steep and shallow with us. We went over the rotary tool. He showed us a lot of tricks about, what fusion will sometimes do um why like it has like these weird tool paths like you know like if you do like a flow tool path and it like squiggles a little bit you can actually go in and right click the tool and compare and edit by itself and there are these tessellation options that open up that are not in the normal fusion when you edit the tool path and yeah, it's something that you can't google it's not something that is you just you have to know from taking the class or from some you know finding out from someone else and stuff so we learned a lot of those tips and tricks and a lot of things and also i was able to just be like hey i've tried this why didn't this work and he'd be like, oh, you try this instead. And, and, and that's that's what the real value of the class is. Plus, like, getting meet, getting to meet other like-minded people. Like, I have everyone's business cards, and we all kept in touch through Instagram and stuff. And, you know, that, that's always fun. We'll probably see them again in the future somewhere. Yeah, Kevin knows a ton of little tips and tricks on Fusion. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah so he, he also, he teaches, uh, he does sessions at most of the Autodesk events, too. Those are definitely must must attend Yes, yeah, he's definitely a great guy and a great instructor. I, I can speak more highly of him. And uh, yeah, John is just in person, the same guy as he is on YouTube videos, like super genuine, super energetic, uh, really passionate. He cares about our time and like he took the time to make sure that we all felt like we got what we wanted from the class. It wasn't like get you in and get you out. He, he actually sat down with us and made sure that we learned everything. And on top of that, he's like, hey, don't worry if there's anything in the future that you forget or you want to know like just email us and we'll there's still this continual support after you take the class yeah and you guys got to make a really fun part too that uh, yeah we made a uh, yeah i think he said it was like an ls3 engine but just kind of uh much smaller and then de-featured a little bit so it wasn't so crazy yeah it was um, pretty look looked pretty good it was, it was really fun like um and just seeing the different ways to program five axis I, before taking the class, I never really took a 3D toolpath and then just turned on like the multi-axis kind of aspect of it. So yeah, it's definitely taught me to, to approach it in different ways. And um, yeah, I, honestly, just it's a great class. Take it if you can, especially if you're interested in five axis, you're not going to get that experience anywhere else, um, period. Like I, 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 trust me, I've looked, you know, like it doesn't exist. You got any fun stuff you're working on uh, as far as uh, CNC projects right now? At home, uh, right now CNC project. I'm I have a pocket and C project I'm trying to do, uh, but I've run into some work holding issues because the part's kind of big. So I need to get creative of how I'm going to do this. Um, my garage is still kind of a mess. I'm still getting everything ordered, like shelving and tables to come in and figure it out. Um, so I should be back on the pocket and C maybe in like a week or so, and I should be making Sweet. parts again. Yeah, yeah I was. Uh kind of revisiting my little lanyard beads I was making on the pocket and C. Um, at first, I, you know, I didn't really think of making them on the Neo because all I have is four axis, right? But actually, I'm playing around with it. I think it can actually make a pretty passable one just on the fourth axis. The only part that's um, kind of needs five axis is I drill these little holes around the 
like into the chamfer, normal to the chamfer on the edge, on the ends of the bead. But I'm going to, I think like I kind of modeled it up. It actually looks pretty good if I come straight like vertical, the small tool into that chamfer. So anyway, it'll make more sense when I show it on Instagram, but uh, right. yeah, I'm trying to do a Neo version of that. Then I can start cranking these things out. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. looking. For, I'm super happy, man. You're finally getting that machine, and we're going to be visiting you in April, so it'll yeah, be fun to cool. check it out. Yep, I got some stock in for uh, Winston's secret project. <laughs> <laughs> I need to uh, to visit the mall and and um, examine the uh, the product that I'm basing my uh, uh, project off of, but uh, should be good. Cool. And Chris, you got to come up with something. Uh, I'm thinking pocket and C work holding since we can all oh, benefit okay. from that. <laughs> so yeah. we'll, we'll go back and forth on that and see what ideas we got. But, um, yeah, okay. that's my idea. Great. I'm looking forward to it. Cool. How about you, Winston? Any last minute, uh, or do we miss anything on, on your, uh, update, shop update? Really. My, my projects are all pretty boring. I'm still finishing up the, uh, the light fixture that I'm 3d printing the bezel for. I need to make a McMaster run on Tuesday, and then uh, I can wrap that up. That just I've got a lot of long-term projects that have just been in my queue for far too long. The video that I released this morning, um, I've got footage for it dating back to May of 2019. So I'm just I'm clearing the backlog and uh, getting ready for some some more fun projects going forward. Cool, cool. I think we all have a. What about you, Eddie? Um, well, other than the lanyard bead and getting ready for the machine, that's that's about it for this coming week. The machine itself is pretty exciting. So yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like I, I'll have hopefully. Uh, I you know it went on the truck Friday, so it's on its way to Texas. I think on Monday I'll have an ETA or day journal here from the shipping company with an ETA on arrival. But um, I'm assuming early, hopefully early next week it'll be at the or this like early like tomorrow or the next day it'll be at the riggers. Um, and then they may bring it over the same day or next day. I'm ready for him here. So yeah, I have feeling, does, uh, uh, does Dan know when he's coming over? He should, yeah. Assuming the machine gets here when it's supposed to, he'll be here next, uh, the following week, the week of the 16th to uh, okay. do the commissioning. Yeah. And, nice. Yeah. Then I'll be ready to, so I'll have a couple of weeks with him before you guys show up to just kind of get the basics under my hat and refresh it on the training. And then, uh, yeah, we'll have a fun April, fun visit in April. Unless I break it first. <laughs> <laughs> Don't, because our tickets are not refundable. <laughs> yeah, <I'll let> you <laughs> <know>. <laughs> All right, guys. All right, guys. We'll, I'll say good night. Yeah, good night. Have a good one. Talk right, to you bye. soon. Great track, guys. Have a good one.